Thank you for tuning in to this week's message. For more information about Connections Church, you can go to connectionschurch.church or follow us on Facebook and Instagram. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Thank you, Justin, and you all can be seated. And uh, as we have been doing for a number of weeks since we started meeting back, we'll have our ushers at the uh, back door in case you want to give to what God's doing here, and we appreciate your faithful giving. And how many of you know God's doing something very special and very powerful here in the house at Connections? Amen? And as importantly, outside of the house, because we are the church and we go be the church, right? That's what we're called to. So welcome, everyone. If you're new today, we thank you for coming out and being a part of this. And how many of you, like me, kind of worked up a little bit of a lather there during worship? Got a little sweat going on, or perspiration, if you will, but I like to just say sweat, and, and I think that's, that's healthy, right? I mean, you can go to Jazzercise, you can go whatever, I don't know, it's like from the 80s, I'm sorry. You can go work out at the gym or whatever, you can go take a run, but, but there's nothing like it, worshiping God with everything you have, and that's what we're called to. I don't know, we might have to do that rattle song again, amen? I think a few of you missed it. It's okay, we'll give you a second chance, right? Because uh, <laughs> you don't want to miss the power of God, man, moving like that. So welcome today, we're, we're in a, a series called Wrecked. How many of you have ever discovered that sometimes, man, uh, God likes to wreck our lives in, in a great way? I mean, a great way. Amen, brother. I see that hand back there. And that's what we've been talking about. We've been talking about a multitude of things the last several weeks. But, but this morning, we're turning our attention to our priorities and how sometimes they need to be wrecked in order to be righted. Amen? I know that we've all heard it for years, but at the same time, we need a constant reminder that life is all about priorities, and we must fight ruthlessly to keep godly priorities in place in our lives because there are so many things competing against that. It was Mark Twain who said many years ago, to change your life, change your priorities. Some people were wondering around out there saying, man, life just don't work. I find myself frustrated, upset, worried, concerned, angry, filling the blank on and on, and I don't know why. Many times it goes back to priorities. Most of the times it will. One thing I've experienced in my own life, and I've seen in the lives of so many others, and that is if we do not keep the right priorities in the right order in our lives, then we will basically wreck ourselves big time, right? German writer Johann Wolfgang von Goethe. How many of you like to have that name? Uh, no, thank you. Just call me Joe, right, Joe? <laughs> Grasped the importance of priorities when he said, Things which matter most must never be at the mercy of things which matter least. Let that sink in. What should matter the most in our lives? And then ask yourself this question. Does it? Do they? Do the things that matter most? The big problem is, and I'm just going to jump to it and tell you right now, is we as human beings living on planet Earth seem to get consumed with the temporary, Right? With the here and now, those things that we can touch and feel and see that are around us, when in reality, we are eternal beings living temporarily in this clay house that God placed us in. So what should really matter are the things of what? God, are the things of eternity, are the things that are going to last forever, not just a few years. And that's exactly what this man was saying when he wrote that, author Stephen Covey, in his bestseller book from many years ago, The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. He put it this way, as, as a longtime student of the fascinating field of life and time management, 
I am personally persuaded that the essence of the best thinking in the area of time management can be captured in a single phrase. If you're taking notes, write this down. Organize and execute around priorities. Simply that, organize and execute around priorities. He also wrote, one of my favorite essays is The Common Denominator of Success, written by E.M. Gray. He spent his life searching for the one denominator that all successful people share. And he found that it isn't hard work or good luck or astute human relations, though these are, are all important, but the one factor that seemed to transcend all the rest was putting first things first. How powerful is that? First things first. That will change your life. Setting the right priorities is vitally important for a successful, God-honoring life. And not just material success, but for all of life. And the great news this morning, as it always has been, is this. That the Bible, the Word of God, sets priorities that will lead us to eternal life. The Word of God tells us that it's vital to put our priorities in the right order and then carefully cultivate each one with zeal, excitement, passion, and enthusiasm. So what we're going to do for the next few minutes is I just want to give you three. Hold up three fingers with me. Three. Look at your neighbor and show them your three, right? Three things, three truths, three eternal priorities that we all must start with if we're going to see God live big in us. Number one is simply this, and it's the big one. God must come first. How many of you are old enough to remember when they used to show the Ten Commandments on TV every, what, Easter? I think it was. And who was it? Charlton Heston would go up on the mountain and God would interact with him, and he gave him the top 10 list for life. That's what I like to call it. The, the 10 commandments engraved on those stone tablets, and Moses brought them back down the mountain for the people. And how many of you can tell me what was numero uno on that list? Thou shalt not have any other gods before, say it, me. Let me say it again, thou shalt, you, you do not, in today's vernacular, don't you dare put anything or anyone else before me, God is saying. So right there off the bat, number one, we must always fight to keep God first in our lives. It's crystal clear he doesn't want us to put anything, anyone, anything before him, his desire is that we worship him and him alone. We, he, we must get to a place where he is always first in our lives, no exceptions. And how many of you know that's an easy thing to do, right? No? <laughs> I guess I'm wrong then. It's not easy. It's a huge challenge. God tells us a story in his word of a famous pair of sisters that go by the names Mary and Martha. You've heard of them. They were loyal friends and followers of Jesus himself. They got to be with him personally. And, and one day he said, guys, I'm coming to visit you at your house. Now, what an honor that would be. Now, what if Jesus told you that this morning? Hey, guys, I'm going to drop in on you on Tuesday afternoon at your house and hang out with you a little bit. What would that do to your, your world? So he tells them this. And when he tells them this, and he actually showed up to visit them at their house one day, they wanted to serve him in the way that each considered was most important. So pick up the story in Luke chapter 10, beginning 
there in, in chapter 10, it reads this way, a certain woman named Martha welcomed him into her house, being Jesus. And she had, had her sister called Mary, who also, here's the, the famous part, did what? Sat at Jesus' feet and heard his words. Now the Bible literally says it this way, but Martha was what? Distracted with much serving. And so she finally approached him and said to him, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve all alone? Now what, what is that statement made from? A place of what? Frustration. You ever been there? How many of you got frustrated this past week? Some of you are lying. You should have your hands up. Because I'm guaranteeing you all of us were at some point in time. I was going to say, how many of you were frustrated with your spouse? But I'm not going to do that. I don't want to bring that. We don't dredge those things back up and reignite those little. So we're not going there. But frustration. You can hear it oozing from the pages of the, the word where, where Martha is just, she's just ticked off. I mean, Jesus, you come to our house and I want everything to be just right, just perfect. And there's really nothing wrong with that. Except that she allowed that to become an obstacle, to become a frustration. And she might have, as, as it seems here, put it in the top place of priority in her life. That all the stuff was right for Jesus in the house. And at the same time, her sister Mary just, just lays down at his feet and says, I just want to hang out with you. I just want to be here with you in your presence in our home. Two contrasting situations. And then Jesus, he answers her in her frustration. He will do that to us too. He said, and I love this, Martha, Martha. How many of you know there's something powerful about saying the name twice? Martha. It's almost like the first one is to come. And then the second one is to really direct your attention. Martha, Martha. It's like, chill, bring it down. Get that frustration out so you can hear what I'm going to tell you because it will rock your world. And so he goes on and says to her, Martha, Martha, you are worried and troubled. Some of you need to write that down. Because I know without a shadow of a doubt that some of you in this room, some of you listening right now and following along with us on this feed, you are worried and troubled about a lot of things. And that's exactly what he said. You are worried and troubled about many things. And here Jesus just kind of sums all this up here in just a second for us. But I just want to stop there for a minute and, and, and remind you, don't let this slip past you as I am going quickly through this. Really grab a hold of this. Worry and trouble do not belong in our lives. Jesus talks about it again in Matthew 6, and we're going to discuss that here in just a few minutes. But the reality is, we as God's people, we don't have anything to worry about, even though worry wants to come and camp out in our lives all too often and, and disrupt everything, and trouble seems to want to make its home in our hearts and, and mess stuff up. Jesus is telling us over and over and over again, do not be worried or troubled about anything. You trust me, you put it in my hands. I'm going to tell you how it is. My kiddos that live with me, that are mine, me and my amazing, incredible wives, together, they're both of ours, they don't worry that there's going to be food on the table. They don't worry that they're going to have some clothes to wear. And as a matter of fact, as crazy as this sounds, they don't have to worry that those clothes are going to be clean when they get up and put them on for school the next day. Because I'm going to tell you, their mama, she runs a tight ship. 
Laundry day is Sunday afternoon or Saturday. But it's going to happen one of those two days. They don't have to worry about there's going to be breakfast when they, when they get up in the mornings. There's going to be plenty to eat. They don't have to worry about paying the power bill or the water bill or any of those other bills. They don't have to worry literally about anything. Why? Because their mama and their daddy takes care of all that. We say, put it right here on our shoulders. This is not for you to carry. And if you can translate that into God the Father, the one that gives us this life, that loves us with an everlasting love, and he says, cast all your cares upon me because I care for you. Whatever's worrying you, whatever's troubling you, put it on my back. I'll take care of it. And you can just cruise. Trust me. And that's what Jesus is trying to say. He's saying, but one thing is needed. Martha, Martha, you're worried and you're troubled about many things, but one thing in life is needed. And Mary has chosen that good part, which will not be taken away from her. So in other words, Jesus is telling her, I'm not going to tell her, get up and go wash the dishes. Get up and get the vacuum out and start vacuuming the house. How dare you sit here and hang out with me and spend time with me? Go help your sister. I'm not going to do that. Why? Because she has chosen that one thing that is needed to be with me. I'm going to tell you something, folks. If we choose Christ every day, we win. Now, don't get me wrong. Serving others is highly commended in the Bible. And it is certainly not wrong to serve. I'm going to tell you. But in this instance, priorities were a big issue. Being with and listening to Jesus' teaching in his heart and his words were even more important than food preparation and cleaning. Can you grab a hold of that? I know some of you Martha types, you're just, you're just squirming in your chair right now. Because that's your thing, man. That's your zone. That's your lane. You're like, stay out of my lane, preacher. I can't help myself. You can I'm not saying stop doing those things, but I'm saying put those things in the rightful place. When Jesus left their house and went on down the road to the next ministry opportunity, guess what? There were going to be plenty of time to, to get the meals done, to get the groceries put up, to get the laundry taken care of, and to vacuum the house and all that stuff. Jesus isn't looking at that stuff when he comes to our home. He's looking at our heart. He's looking to see if we just want to hang out with him and be with him and sit at his feet and hear his heart towards us. Relationship. Boop. Underline it exclamation points that's what it's all about so how do we demonstrate that we truly love God and want to put his presence and teachings first the apostle John provides an answer for us for this is the love of God that we keep his commandments and his commandments are not burdensome they're not heavy they're not hard to keep in John first John chapter 5 verse 3 the evidence that we love God is our striving to keep his commandments by prioritizing time with him in his word and prayer and worshiping at his house so that we can know him personally and know his word to us intimately to do those things he's called us to do and more importantly to be those people he's called us to be and created us to be first John chapter 2 verses 4 and 5 tell us that he who says i know him and does not keep his commandments is a what a liar and the truth is not in him but whoever keeps his word, truly the love of God is perfected in him. Church, we got to be honest with ourselves. Are we 
putting our personal relationship with God first, or are we allowing other aspects of our lives to come before the worship of the one true God? Let's take a look at some folks in the Bible who got their priorities right and some who, who missed it. Real quick, the Bible records an incident an incident which Peter, James, and John, some of the first disciples that Jesus called, he called them to come and follow him and be his disciples, and they had their priorities right. So when they had when they had brought their boats to land, it tells us in Luke chapter 5, verse 11, here's what they did. They forsook everything. They left their boats behind, their nets, their trolling motors. They're Chevy trucks. They're nice trailers to pull the boats on. They left it all behind. And they marched after Jesus. Picture Jesus coming by and saying, hey, Jamie, Tom, Elaine, come and follow me. If that happens, and it does happen because he does call us to come and follow him. He's calling us right now. I get the the honor and the privilege of being a part of that call for you and I and everybody to come and follow Jesus. What is our response to him? Do we forsake everything such as these men and go after him? Contrasting situation. The Bible records examples of people who had distorted priorities and who actually rejected Christ's offer to become one of his disciples. In Luke chapter 9 and verse 57, it starts a a series of these that I just want to share with you real quick. It says, now it happened as they journeyed on the road that someone said to Jesus, Lord, I will follow you wherever you go. Here's somebody coming off the the sideline saying, hey, I'm here. I want to follow you. I see what good things are happening to you and all that. I want to be with you. And Jesus says back to him, foxes have holes and birds have the air of the air have nests. But the son of man has nowhere to lay his head. In other words, you come after me, man, I want you to, but it's not going to be easy. You're going to have to go through some stuff if you follow me. There'll be some hardships. Are there going to be the highest of highs you've ever experienced? And then one day, the ultimate high of being with me and God the Father in heaven forever, for all of eternity. But in the meantime, here on this earth, there will be some challenges. There will be some persecution. Are you still in? And then the Bible goes on and says in verse 59, then he said to another person, he calls them out to come and follow me. But this person says, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. Interesting. Jesus replies to him and says, let the dead bury their own dead, but you go and preach the kingdom of God. Now, sometimes it sounds kind of harsh and stiff, but there's a lesson here that I want to get to in just a moment. Then verse 61, and another also said to him, Lord, I will follow you, but let me first go and bid them farewell who are at my house. Now, what, what kind of commitment is that? So Jesus basically tells this guy that no one having put his hand to the plow and looking back is fit for the kingdom of God. Now some of you haven't heard passages like this before. You're kind of thinking, man, this is a little bit different. There's some, there's some stuff in here I'm just not jiving with. But, but apparently physical comfort and prosperity were of greater importance for some people that we just read about. For others, taking care of family matters was, was more crucial than, than following hard after Christ and preaching the gospel. Now let me just clarify. None of their excuses uh, were of themselves wrong. Is it wrong to stay with a, a father until they pass or, or, or to devote an extended period of time of saying farewell to family members? Certainly not. However... Get this, and don't let it escape you. 
Jesus was teaching a vital lesson here. And that is simply this, that God was not first in their priorities. Other things held that top spot, apparently. And church, I'm just going to level with you something that most of you already know. It's tough to choose between the affairs of this world and the teachings and the callings of Christ. Jesus said, if anyone comes to me, listen to this. This is going to blow some of you out of your seat, so you better grab a hold of it and don't let go. He said, if anyone comes to me and does not hate, you're like, well, pastor, we're not supposed to hate. I mean, that's one of the you know, first things in the Bible. Yeah. Hear it out completely. This word hate here simply means love less by comparison. It means that our love for him would make everything else pale in the bright light of that love. And then he goes on to say, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his father, his mother, his wife, his children, his brothers, sisters, yes, and his own life also, he cannot be my disciple. And whoever does not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. Wow, priorities can be tough. It takes a ruthless fight, a dogged determination to say, you know what, Jesus, my love for you is going to be greater than my love even for my own family. I love them. I don't hate them. Sometimes it's tough, though. I've got to be honest. I mean, some of them will drive you to the edge, right? And, you know, but that's a whole different sermon for a whole different day. He's not saying, I'm calling you to hate your family and love me only. That is not what this passage means. So please don't walk away from this church thinking, man, these people over there is preaching, teaching you, you guys got to hate your family. That's not it. But our red, hot, passionate love and devotion to our king must make every other thing in our life pale in comparison. That is what this passage is all about. That's it. Remember his words again. No one having put their hand to the plow and looking back is fit for the kingdom of God. Once we have set following Jesus Christ as our top priority, there should never be any going back. No place for it. Second thing this morning is, is, is this. To maintain godly priorities, we must develop righteous character. And you may ask, well, what is godly righteous character? Well, a well-known Christian educator, Herbert Armstrong, wrote the following definition of perfect character. And he said, and I quote, it is the ability in a separate entity with free moral agency to come to the knowledge of the right from the wrong, the true from the false, and then secondly, to choose that right thing and possess the will to enforce self-discipline to do the right thing and resist the wrong. In other words, it's fighting for the truth of what's right. What is spelled out in the pages of God's word, the ultimate authority of everything in life. It is seeking and finding that truth. It is searching with a diligent heart and pulling out the treasures that are found within the pages of the word about how to live this life and how to be everything that God's created us to be. And once you discover that, it is cultivating that strong will and that determination, that commitment with the help of the Holy Spirit that yes, those are the truths of life and yes, those are the truths that I am going to live my life by. Come hell or high water as we sang this morning. I will not back down from what is right. That is godly, righteous character. Even and especially when nobody else sees me except my heavenly father, I 
will do those things that he has created me for. So devil, you're on notice. Take your junk and move down the road. You're not welcome here. That's a pretty good definition of godly righteous character, I think, right? Man, it's a fight, but it's a fight we win. In his book, The Death of Character, James Hunter wrote, Does character really matter? Uh, Think about that for a minute. And he says that the collective wisdom of the ages would say it matters supremely. In both classical and biblical cultures, civilizations that have been so deeply formative to our own, People well understood that there uh, understood there to be a direct association between the character of individuals. Listen to this, because we're going to get into some stuff that's going on today where we live. People well understood there to be a direct associ- association between the character of individuals and the well-being of the society as, as a whole. Who makes up the society as a whole? Individuals. Individual character was essential to decency, order, and justice within public life. Without it, hardship was not far off. Indeed, much of the history of the ancient Hebrews can be told as a story of blessing for faithfulness to God, abiding by God's standards of holiness and self-inflicted pain for abandoning those same standards. And boy, are we seeing what a lack of character and righteousness will have on a society in our nation right now. And folks, that's the heart of the issue in our country. And I'm going to tell you this, so you'll get your, get your mind wrapped around it, I hope. Ain't no politician going to fix that. I don't care what they promise you from now to November 4th. Ain't no politician going to fix that. And the reason why is because most of them have no character. They have no integrity. I don't care what little letters in front of their name. Most of them, when they get elected to office, guess what? They sell their soul to the highest bidder. I mean, you want to get real down nitty-gritty with it? Why do most politicians go into office at a certain level of, of net value in their life? And when they're in office for just a couple few years, that value goes through the roof into the millions of dollars that they are worth all of a sudden. Why? Because they are getting paid off by the big companies who want their vote. It's all about buying politicians for the most part. I'm telling you what, so you don't look to them for the answers. We feel like, oh, if we get so-and-so in office, things are going to change. Guess what? There may be a few minor changes, but the only ultimate change is going to be when this nation finds righteousness again. The Bible says that righteousness, righteousness will exalt a nation. Righteousness will lift a nation up. Righteousness will place a nation where it should be before God. But evil will destroy a nation. We're living a day and a time where evil is not only pushed and, 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 and cheered for, but it's also sanctioned and it's made as law. The things that go directly against God's word are now made law. And if you stand up against it because the truth of God's word says it's not right, then guess what? You're villainized. We're villainized. We're called haters and everything else. We are called people who are, are closed-minded. Well, guess what? My Bible tells me that the road to heaven is very narrow and small, and there will be few that find it. But the road to destruction is wide open and broad, and many will walk down that road. 
I cry over that many, and we as a church should cry over that many. But we should never compromise righteousness to fit in with this generation and this world that we live in. Never. You're saying, man, that guy's a little excited. You, because time is ticking away. And as we walked through a series in Revelation last month, the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ, we believe with all our hearts is upon us. Righteousness exalts a nation. You say, well, Pastor, uh, those politicians, they say they love God. Well, you answer me this. We just talked about if we love God, we're going to do what his word says. Is murdering babies loving God? In the womb, and now they're pushing to murder them at birth. There's no condemnation for somebody who's went through an abortion. There's forgiveness, deliverance, freedom, and help and healing for everybody. But I'm telling you what, right is right and wrong is wrong. You don't want that baby, you have it and you give it to us. We'll adopt, we'll take care of them. Adoption's the answer, not abortion. I'm going to tell you that right now. And you got politicians that are getting on our TV screens and are making these speeches from town to town and city to city and state to state. And they're standing up and saying, oh, we love God. We're taking him out of the pledge for one thing. And then they're murdering babies for another. And they're legalizing sin on top of that. They're calling wrong, right, and right, wrong. So the Bible just clearly tells us you can't follow God. You don't love God if you don't keep his commandments. And that's for every single one of us, not if you're a politician, only it's for every single human being. Righteousness exalts a nation. Sin and evil will destroy it. I'm going to tell you, it is a fight to keep biblical character, but here's the beauty of it. We don't fight with flesh and blood. It is powers and principalities. We have the Holy Spirit fighting for us. This man knows his word. We have all the power of heaven behind us. We have God, the Father, God, the Son, and God, the Holy Spirit there inside of us and fighting with us. And we've got to make that stand and understand that with his help, with his power, with his authority, that resurrection power we just proclaimed in song, that we can stand against every evil that comes at us. Well, pastor, I was just born this way. You doggone right you were. And so was I. And the reason why is because great, 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 great grandparents, Adam and Eve, they made a terrible choice. And when they made that choice, sin entered the picture and the curse of sin. Every human being was born under that curse from that point in time on. And your curse and my curse are a little bit different because the things that may sway me and pull me and want me to give in to them may be different and probably are than what pulls you and sways you and draws you. But here's the reality of it. Because we were born into that curse of sin, the Bible says that Jesus came to break. <laughs> Whoa! He came to break, annihilate, and destroy that curse upon us to free us from the laws of sin and death and to make us into a new creation. So here's the beauty of it. We don't have to live in sin. Whatever that pull is on your life. And again, no condemnation. This is freedom. This is the truth of God's word speaking to our hearts today and your hearts today out there. 
Freedom is available because Jesus Christ destroyed death, hell, and the grave and the curse of sin at his crucifixion and resurrection. Give us the absolute power to live righteously in him and to have godly character through him. But here's the question that I want to ask all of you and all of you today. Is that what you want? Because it always comes down to that. Whether you're buying a car, buying a house, buying the latest big screen, salesperson is going to give you that spiel. <clears throat> Mr. Thompson, here's what we got for you today, brother. We can put you in this fine automobile, all these features. It's all right here for the taking. All you got to do is want it and sign on the dotted line. I'll hand you those keys. We'll send you out the door. We'll see you again at 3,000 miles when we change the oil for free. That's another option. Now, don't forget that. Maintenance and care. You come back, we'll change that oil for 50,000 miles for you. Jesus lays out before us the greatest offer in human history. Life. I'm talking abundant life. Overcoming, victorious, triumphant life. Powerful, yeah, John 10, 10, amen, powerful life. Life that does not bow to the things of this world. Life that does not get caught up in the addictions and the minutiae and the mess and the junk of this current world we live in. Life that is able to overcome all of those things. How many of you are just tired of fighting that and giving in time and time again? If you want freedom, Jesus said, I have come to set the captives free. Do we want it? Because it really comes down to this. Our will or God's will. When it comes to the life decisions, whose will usually takes priority in our own lives? Is it our self-will or is it the will of God? The Apostle Paul admonished Christians to be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable, perfect will of God in your own life. To be led by the will of God is to embody the character of God himself, to become like him as he desires. Jesus himself set the perfect example. He taught his followers to pray often that God's kingdom be established and that your, the Father's will be done here on earth as it is in heaven, right he said he came to earth to accomplish and carry out his father's will in John 6, 38. Even when faced with a horrifying trial of physical pain and mental torment approaching the impending cross, Jesus prayed these words in the garden as, as drops of sweat came out of his forehead. He said, not my will, but yours be done. So whose will are you chasing? As a matter of fact, that would be an amazing prayer for us to pray when we open our eyes in the morning. When we get into our word and when we pray to start our day, God, not my will be done today, but yours. Because, you know, when it comes down to it, we can be really selfish people, right? Some of you are already kind of thinking right now, man, I really want Mexican for, for lunch today. But I know the wife's going to want Chinese, but I've got, I've got to figure a way. So you're not even listening to what I'm saying. You're, you're, you're battling in your mind how you can figure out getting lunch what you want today i got to figure out how I can kind of turn that in and work that out to where we go eat what I want today. A few of you dropped your head and was like, how do you know that? 
probably because I'm kind of thinking that same thing with my wife, but I, I shouldn't have said that out loud because she's right over there. But Overcoming our selfish nature and replacing it with God's character should be uppermost in our minds and our hearts to think righteous and to be righteous. As the Bible says to us, as a man thinks in his heart, so he shall be. Righteousness. Godly character. Godly character in the homes. Families that truly love God and love each other again. That'll turn a nation around. There's where the breakdown's been. I don't care what any politician says. There's where the break. Righteousness will change everything. And then lastly today, I just want to remind you of this. To truly have godly priorities, we will seek first the kingdom of God. In his Sermon on the Mount, Jesus taught some of the most meaningful, powerful life principles of Christian living in the entire Bible. In Matthew chapter 5 through 7, you can read all of those. But one of those is out of Matthew 6, 33. But... Seek you first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all of these will be added unto you. Turn and say me. Not in a selfish way. But the key is if we seek him first and his righteousness. And I know this is a summation of the first two, two truths I've shared with you. Seek God first. Seek his righteousness. Then all these other things will be added unto you. So you don't have to worry. Don't worry. Be happy, right? I mean, you've heard that song? Yeah. Yeah. I'm showing my age. I'm always showing my age. And I'm getting older next month. Angel, I 53 next month. Can you believe it? I look like I'm 43. I know. I'm just kidding. <laughs> don't worry. Be happy. Worry can disappear. Frustration can disappear. When we choose God first and we fight ruthlessly to keep him there daily. Would you close your eyes with me for just a minute? I, I just sense that, that many of us in this room desire, I, I believe all of us want to keep God first. All of us want to have our priorities right. I, this is something that's, that's not new, but it's, it's, it's life-giving. It's powerful. It's essential. But here's what I'm asking you right now. If you would admit, with everyone's eyes closed for just another moment, that you've struggled in your life with keeping him first, and even right now, in this last few weeks, especially during this pandemic time or whatever, that, that you've really struggled with it big time. And you simply say today, Pastor, pray for me. I, I commit myself to Jesus, fresh and new today, that, that God is, is my top priority. He's the the, the, the treasure I'm seeking, he, he's, he's the first thing I'm going after in my life, and everything else will fall in line behind it when I seek him and his righteousness. But I just want you to pray that I'll have the discipline. I want you to get disciplined like a, like a drill sergeant would come and, and work through you there so that, that it just becomes who you are. And that drill sergeant lovingly is the Holy Spirit who comes and teaches us. He's our tutor, our instructor. He's our helper. He's everything we need. God the Father gives to us so if you're struggling in your life right now, if you're bound up in something right now, if you've been given in to a, a, a particular sin uh, just way too often and, and, and you just have struggled, would you just raise your hands across this room and say, Pastor, pray for me this morning. I, I'm really battling those things. Yes, ma'am. Yes. How many others? Just raise your hand. Yes, sir. Yes, ma'am. Yes, sir. Yes. Uh, 
Anybody else? I, I've just looked at this one side and caught, caught a good number of hands. Anybody over here? Thank you. Yes. Anybody else? Just yes. Yes. Thank you. Thank you. And here's what I want to do right now. I want all of us to stand to our feet across this room, whether you raise your hand or not. Just, just go ahead and stand up, everybody. Here's what I want to do. I want to ask that you all would just turn and face each other. I would say grab hands, but some of you are still a little cautious about that. But just turn and face each other as best you can. And we're going to pray one for another right now. And if you want to pray, if you want me to pray with you, this, this altar is always open. You, you, you're welcome to walk down here, and I'll be your prayer partner too. And any of you that raised your hand or didn't for anything, if you need to, to submit your life to Christ, to commit yourself through salvation, if you've not been saved, please let us know, and please come down and make that right. But we're going to pray for each other, and then we're going to worship. And I mean, we're going to worship. Them bones are rattling, church. Life is here. Miracles are happening, and they're happening for every one of us. Father, thank you. Thank you for loving us like you do. Thank you for always reminding us of who you are. Thank you for giving us this life. What, what an amazing gift. Without you, we, we wouldn't be here. But you love us that much. You created us. You've called us, God. And right now, we, we surrender to you and we say, God, you be first in our lives. And we do that with more than just mere words. We do that with our hearts that, that are excited and love you and passionate about you and, and, and intensifying in that love and that passion. It's growing Every day, God, that's what we want to see. And, Lord, for those who have struggled, have been bound up in something right now, we speak freedom over and in their lives. Let them loose now. Open up the prison doors and break those chains, God, of sin that's been attached too long. And, Lord, they would experience your presence and experience your power in a whole new way. And they would learn to sit at your feet, God, and be with you in relationship and grow with you in your word by hearing what you have to say to them and over them because you love them so much. Lord, that you would transform us by the renewing of our mind and that we would grow and we would find ourselves assembling with other believers in connect groups. And on Sundays, God, we just have this hunger and thirst for you because you are first in our lives. You're our top priority. You are the treasure that we seek after. Not fame, not fortune, not anything this world has to offer. Because all those things are going to be done away with. When you come for us. We want to be found faithful. We want to be found passionate. We want to be found powerful in you and through you. God, there's some healing that's happening right now. I just sense in my spirit some people are casting off worry and fear, and doubt, and frustration. They're throwing it on you, God. They're giving it up. They're getting it out of their lives. And I thank you for that, Father. You're bringing freedom and peace, assurance, confidence in Jesus' mighty name. Lord, for any that might be surrendering their life to you through salvation right now, I just pray that you come and invade their lives as they've never experienced, God, that you come and set them free and forgive their sins and, and, and make them into new creations in Christ Jesus, that today they are born again by your power and your presence, God. And all of heaven celebrates because of this, Jesus, as these decisions are being made right now, and we pledge ourselves to walk with them in discipleship and growth and health and strength. God, you're doing a great new powerful work at and through Connections Church and we are so blessed to be a part and we celebrate that right now 
by your power, your grace, your spirit. God, our hearts are alive in you. And Lord, I believe that we're going to worship differently than even we did about 30 minutes ago. Because your word has come alive even more so in us right now. And Lord, we give ourselves to you. And we celebrate. Would you sing it out with all your hearts and really worship him today, church? God is in this place. Thank you for tuning into this week's message. For more information about Connections Church, you can go to connectionschurch.church or follow us on Facebook and Instagram.